Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 244, the May 1989 issue on sale January 17th of 1989. It's cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Ladies Night. I think I just realized something about this cover. Um, okay. Okay. The thing that I realized uh, is that so so the text on the cover says, no, we've survived Inferno, beaten Freedom Force, trademark, the Sentinels, trademark, and Magneto, trademark. But how do we beat Gasp, the M-Squad, trademark? And I never really thought much about the foreground silhouettes, but now that I'm looking closer, it kind of looks like they're trying to trick us into thinking that the M squad are the Marauders maybe. Um, I guess it could be. I mean, the only reason I say that, right, you got some guns there, which could be, uh, whatever that guy's name is. You've got those little claws over to the right, which could be saber tooth. Although that guy's holding a gun, which feels odd. And then to the left, one of those guys could be javelin or harpoon or whatever his name is. But the thing is, they have defeated and survived the Marauders. Just, I, I, I'm, it's just kind of a, a realization that I'm having right now is that these silhouettes uh, clearly do not match the people that we will meet inside the issue. And frankly, are there three of them or four of them in the issue? I believe there's four. Oh, okay. Well. Anyways. Spoilers. There is a heavy Ghostbusters feeling in this. <laughs> <laughs> in this issue, yes. But but the point is is that there's there's very heavy looking artillery in these um, silhouettes that uh, is not present in the issue. I see where you're coming from, and uh, I don't have an answer. I, I really I don't know. I, I I could see it either way. Sure, sure. Anyways, uh, the it's a Sylvestri in green cover, so it's it's pretty good. I wish the uh, the women. Uh, this is a women's issue, by the way. Uh, we're blown up or out a little bit, uh, but other than that, you know, it's a good cover. Yeah, they could. I, I would, I would prefer to see like an extreme close up without the shadows, maybe from the waist up of the four of them. Sure, sure, that'd be good. Get a Same lot. dialogue, uh, a little more detailed because they're closer up. I don't actually care for the dialogue for two reasons. One is every name has a trademark behind it. But the other reason is that... Haven't you learned to ignore those? <laughs> no, I just think they're silly. <laughs> is Sentinels really trademarked? I don't know. <laughs> is is Inferno really trademarked? I'll give them Freedom Force and Magneto, but the other is kind of a stretch. And I'll also give them M-Squad. But I never... I don't generally like text on my covers. I feel like it takes away from... Well, this is clearly supposed to be silly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't okay. like that because we just came out of a, a serious, very serious story, which I guess is what they're trying to go for. This is like a palate cleanser before we go wherever we're going to go next. But, yeah, this is the this is the relaxation episode. Right. They don't all need to be serious and they don't all need to be giant arcs. I get it, but... I don't know. I don't like to go from super serious, like crazy origin, new mutant defining storylines to, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about the M squad? 
Well, these are these are the fun issues. These are the characterization, you know, issues where we get to relax. We get to see the X-Men play sports, perhaps. Those are always fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen, but. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I would be let down by these issues. Uh, I, I, I enjoy them because, I don't know, it's character building. Uh, it would have been worse if this issue uh, was drawn by uh, a lesser pair of artists. So, you know, the fact of the matter is we've got uh, Sylvester and Green with us. So, so the art's going to be good. Mm-hmm. But the worst, in my opinion, are the, the relaxing issues with your guest pencilers. <laughs> well, the worst are the, uh, the like event issues where you have one person doing everything. And then for like a fill in issue, you have a completely different style of artist and you're just like, Whoa, what happened? True. Um, sort of on the smell. No changing gears just a little bit and not really getting into this issue yet. I want to plant the seed early because I was looking ahead at our roadmap of comic books Mm -hmm, and there's mm -hmm. going to come a time Maybe not this year, but probably next year, where Chris Claremont no longer writes Uncanny X-Men. Spoilers! <laughs> Sorry. Somebody had to say it. <laughs> and I'm torn. Like, we start by following the Uncanny X-Men, but are the Uncanny X-Men uncanny without Chris Claremont? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Oof. So, audience, I, I, I'm looking for some feedback. We're obviously going to cover Uncanny X-Men, but I'm struggling to to come to grips with what degree I'll want to to do, uh, well, you know, follow Chris Claremont's career. Does he just become like a passing thought in the pantheon of the X-Men and we just go on to the next author? I, I don't know. I don't feel good about that. I'm scared, I'm Adam. Think, I'm scared think, of the future. I think at some point he... He ditches Marvel to go to DC, but uh, I don't think for very long. Yeah, or maybe, or maybe he was just writing for both at the same time. Well, there's there's definitely a period. More spoilers where uh, Chris Claremont's writing neither, um, and then there's hey, a if, period if you wanna, way down you there where he comes back. If you want to do switch gears and do Chris Claremont's Fantastic Four, I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs> so, um, anyways, that, that's, so there you go. Uh, as far as covers go, it's it's okay. I'm not blown away. Yeah, it's not a great cover. Uh, we open it up. It is called Ladies' Night. It is written by Chris Claremont. Mark Silvestri is the penciler. Dan Green is the inker. Glynis Oliver is the colorist. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. Bob Harris is the editor. Uh, and Tom DeFalco is the mall manager. <laughs> because this yeah. issue takes place in a mall. <laughs> not just any mall. The Hollywood Mall. Apparently the biggest and best. Yeah, and we get a full-page spread of whole bunch of mall goers surrounding in the distance uh, a light show and they're ooing and eating <laughs> Ooh, ee. and we zoom in on the scene and we see that there's a girl and she's juggling lights and everyone's like oh it's so cool wonder if she's a mutant who cares barf butt because that's how this issue is full of Old people who are trying to write mall speak. <laughs> well, you've never heard somebody call somebody a barf butt? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to start calling people barf butt from here on out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a girl. Um, I, I would argue that that is a Marvel staple, you futzer. Yeah, I would agree. You're right. They're like, I don't know. It's not. 
I don't, you don't even have to swear. Like there's other language that could be used. I feel like these people just don't get out of their offices and they're like, I don't know, barf butt sounds like what the kids are probably saying. I was at the mall the other day. I could swear I heard somebody say barf butt. <laughs> you think Chris Claremont went to the mall and like studied people, listened to the lingo? Yeah, probably. And he overheard like, I don't know, an adult say barf butt and he's like that's what the kids are saying not realizing that it was like a 30 year old man no i i don't believe that outside of this podcast the phrase barf butt has been uttered as much as it has been just now <laughs> <laughs> in any event uh there there's a girl she's doing a light show she calls them articulate quasi animate transitory plasmoids so she's not she's she's got some intelligence in her because i don't know what that means I or is she doing like valley speak? I don't think so. I don't get a valley girl vibe from her. I think they take a while to find her her groove. Yeah, probably. I but, mean as with as with any characters. Um she, she says zippity doo wah diddy wop bop loo bop wop bamboo. And I, I wish she had said zippity doo why did he? Because then they would have been like three songs, yeah. and that would have been that would have been more fun. That would have been more clever. Um, I don't know. I feel like in uh, the eight nineties, I guess, is where this is being written, or is this late eighties still? This is still eighty nine. Okay. Uh, I feel like the girl represented in this picture is probably the age I was in nineteen eighty nine. So okay, um, thirteen, fourteen years old. Uh, I certainly knew the words. Do wop bop loo bop wop bam, but I certainly would not have known that it was Little Richard who <laughs> coined those words. So I find it hard to believe that she does. But maybe you know, maybe she's There's, worldly. There, there are some kids. Who, it depends on how you're raised. I mean, I knew some things when I was a kid that would probably surprise people, and then there was a lot of other things that I didn't. Sure. As long as it's not like. As long as she doesn't have like a, a master d- degree in everything about music, <laughs> I'm I'm okay with it. Sure. She knows one or two things. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's cool. Uh, rent to cops, the mall cops. They're not happy with hap- what's with what is happening. Uh, at least one of them is like, "Oh, there she is. She's doing it again." And his partner's like, "Ah, it's just a girl. Who cares?" Lou, she's just a kid. She ain't doing no harm. What do you want to go making a federal case out of this? I don't know. That's a New York accent, but uh, this is in Los Angeles. We should point out. Yeah. I, I don't know what a Los Angeles accent is. I don't either. That's probably more dude. She's breaking <laughs> the rules, Billy. Stuck up little Brett. Yeah, like something she like that. owns the place. Go. <laughs> uh, I want Never every- met a stereotype I didn't like. <laughs> I want every man on her case now. So every man on the case is apparently just these two guys and maybe two other guys that hide around the corner. But through a series of hijinks, this girl uses her sparkle abilities to confuse the rent-a-cops and some athletics to do some somersaults around. Yeah, and- she she is apparently, as as you would expect from most Chris Caramont characters, she has multiple talents. She, as she's running around, uh, somebody says, go girly, go. And she says, uh, what's her voice going to be? <laughs> she's Asian, you know, but I don't want to do that. 
I'm not very creative, so I'm just going to go with, actually, my name is Jubilee. Because <laughs> every day with me is a celebration. Maybe we'll adapt it with time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So she, she, she makes an escape, uh, and there are some punks at the mall who are like, oh, it's Jubilee. You got to go. You got to get away from them. Hey, man, maybe we should help her. Yeah. Radical. Let's roll. And so they jump on their skateboards and they cut off all the cops. Honestly, if if I was at a mall and there was a girl running around or some punks with skateboards, I'd probably be after the skateboarders. Yeah, it's, that's true. Maybe the skateboarders haven't arrived. I don't know. This guy, Lou, he's just got, he's really got a bug up his butt. He's, he's a bit of a barf butt. <laughs> he is no fan of Jubilees and a little it, bit of a barf butt. In the first panel on this page, I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, at least ten run to cops. That's true. They're they're coming out of the woodwork now. And in the lower panel, there's uh there's there's ten again. So let's say say there's ten. Okay. They think they have her surrounded. Um and uh one of the cops says, uh, we got no room for street trash, runaway riff raff. Well, excuse me, all the blazes. Ooh, she's throwing them sparklies. Calling me Riff Raff the Noive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she. I could see her transplanted from Brooklyn. <laughs> I don't. I can't quite remember. I think we get a little bit of her origin in the annual we'll cover late, later, but I don't think it talks about where she, where she grew up. But well, she does say she attended Beverly Hills Prep. Yeah, but what does that panel. mean? And. Uh, and she was an absolutely aces gymnast, which is how she's able to jump off of the uh, top floor railing of the mall and grab a, uh, I don't know, decoration that you see in the mall. Yep. And she's on like a third floor. She She's jumping from the third floor to the first floor, but first grabs onto uh, a decorative piece that's hanging from the ceiling, does some flips. And lands it. She sticks the landing. Here comes the judge's score. 9.8, 9.9, a perfect 10, 9.3, 9.8. And from the Russians, 3.7. Um, and then Lou, I think, the chief, he's he's grabbing his hat and he's jumping up and down. And he says, I hate her, I hate her, I hate her. It's comically cute. Yeah, he's he's got like little little propulsion uh, clouds underneath his feet as he's jumping up and down. Later in the issue, they call this this giant device thing that she swung off a mobile. Oh, sure, it's a giant. Is it a mobile or a mobile? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so that's when uh, one of the guys, not the chief, who's like, "Hey, if this kid's really a mutie, face facts, Lou. She's way out of your league. We need trained professionals." We need the M squad. Call them. <laughs> Mutant. And so it says uh, M squad, mutant hunters extraordinaire. Why pay more? Save dollars, dollars, dollars. Call now and get a free stray toaster. That is a reference to uh, Inferno. Um, no, it's a uh, it's a comic book by Bill Senkovich. Oh, that is called Stray Toasters. Uh, and it, it is. It was uh, in Marvel's Epic line. Remember Epic Comics? I do. Uh, They're all like Elf weird, and different. Yeah. So Stray Toasters was one of them. Call toll free one eight hundred five 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 hunt or one eight hundred five 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 mute. Why do they have two numbers? Well, 
you know, <laughs> it's the eighties. Anybody who's anybody has two phone numbers. Okay. Um, meanwhile, in the Australian outback, a uh, storm is blown out of her house. No, no, no. Storm Some, flies a, a, towards an explosion. Yes. That comes from a house. Right. Yeah. I kind of forgot about all of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Dazzler, Storm and Colossus check it out and uh, things are being hurled from Rogue's room, including a bed and she's screaming dirty, rotten, stinking rat bag. I just realized Colossus has one line in this comic and then he, he kind of has no lines and disappears. Uh, Dazzler's using eye blasts to repel the bed. Which is strange. It is. She's not Cyclops, but maybe she was hanging out over Inferno and she's like, hey, I like the cut of his jib. I'm going to start using eye blasts. I, I guess if she can shoot them out of her fingers, there's no reason why she couldn't shoot them out of her eyes. Yeah. That's weird. Does that mean she can shoot them out of like her entire body at the same time? I guess so. So her whole body could be just a big gun. Yeah, she she can she can pinpoint them, or she can just have it be like a big old explosion. So the she repels the bed up towards Storm, who's flying in, um, and and kind of cuts Storm off. And Storm is unable to control her flight pattern. She's unable to use the winds, but she does manage to dodge it, uh, and it results in her crashing through a window, which leads into a bathtub where uh psylocke is having a bath yep. she lands inside of the tub with psylocke and uh we get three charmingly cute panels of psylocke wiping suds out of her eyes and just the top of storm's head saying betsy i i it's funny and then betsy flicks away a little bit of soap from her eyes and she's got kind of a perturbed look on her face as you do. Sure. If anybody landed in my bathtub, I would definitely be perturbed. How is there still water in this tub? There are now two full-grown women in what looks like a tiny tub. Yeah. And based on like how it's drawn, how are they just not completely on top of each other? <laughs> I mean, not going for a sexual angle. Bathtubs are just small. Yeah. But anyways, it's it, it's it works on a comedic level. It doesn't really work on a physics level. Yeah, it's funny. Anyhow, uh, so Colossus and Dazzler are kind of wondering why Rogue is throwing a, t uh, a tantrum. Uh, it's mostly furniture at this point that's being thrown out. Uh, Storm shows up and she's like, uh, yo, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, because she too is from Los Angeles. <laughs> Everybody is in this issue. What Un is the meaning of this outburst? Enough is enough, young woman. And uh, Rogue says, it's her. Golly gosh, none of y'all understand. Uh, Just, golly gosh is not something that I'm used to Rogue saying. No. But okay. Chris Claremont's trying something new. Um, Betsy walks in and says, she, she means Carol Danvers. <laughs> was, that a, was that a Mrs. Delphire or are we doing something new? I don't know. Just trying out some new voices, you know. <laughs> It's a it's a new gener it's a it's a new dawn of X Men comics. Gotta, okay, gotta, gotta mix it up a little bit. Rogue is super unhappy that Carol Danvers takes over Rogue's body from time to time and redecorates her little apartment in New York chic. 
my question is, where is Carol Danvers getting all of this money from? Well, we'll find that out in uh, in the annual that we're going to cover after this. Where she gets the money from? I mean, I know that, I mean, spoilers, I know that there's uh, treasures on the land, but this is like like folding lamps and mod chairs and uh, I don't know what you call that painting, like uh, modern art. She's got connections. Okay. Well, she's art is probably she knows an artist who sent it to her. Yeah, but wouldn't that artist be like, aren't you in space? (laughs) Don't they call you binary now? I'm back. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, sure. I'll send you that painting. What's with your voice? (laughs) Right. Well, didn't we, in some of the issues, find out that when Carol takes over, it's Carol's voice coming out of Rogue? That's impossible. I completely agree, right? I mean, you can't change your larynx and all of the other physics that go into what produces your voice just because your personality changes. I don't like it. Although, there's an argument because I think people with multiple personalities will take on different vocal affectations. Which, that I can buy, but it's still the same voice. It's like it's like being able to reproduce Carol Danvers' voice exactly, I don't buy, but... Rogue changing her voice, losing her accent. I could um, buy her losing her accent, but you know, if you have a high pitched voice, you're going to just pretty much have a high pitched voice. Same thing if you have a low pitched voice. Uh, accents can come and go. Maybe but, when she's Carol Danvers, she talks like this. <laughs> did you see Glass? I did not. Oh well. Why would I? Why would I go see that? Because you saw Split and you thought it was actually kind of good. And you're like, well, let me give this glass thing a chance. Hey, you know what else I didn't see? <laughs> you didn't see Split. Split. <laughs> well, Split is way better than Glass. But uh, you have to give it up for, uh, what's his name? Uh, James McAvoy. Yeah. he uh, He's able to deliver a multiple personality performance that's very, very good. I think much like we complimented his acting ability in Dark Phoenix... His acting ability in Split and Glass was probably the most outstanding things of those movies. But the point is, is that he has multiple personalities and he's doing all these different accents and affectations and such. But I doubt he's ever changing his voice. There's not a point where he sounds like a man and then a woman, Mm -hmm. which is maybe a stretch for what we're trying to talk about here. But I, I, I agree with you. In any event, Rogue is mad because, like, this is her, this is Rogue's apartment. This is not Carol Danvers' apartments. Carol Danvers has no right to take over her personality and go buying all this crap and decorating her apartment with it. Right? Psylog, you're a telepath. You can wipe Danvers out of my head. Betsy cannot, because Rogue's mind is pretty crazy. I can hardly read your thoughts, Rogue, much less erase them. Even Even if I would, even if I were possible, it would not be right. Should have figured, I should have figured you'd side with her. You all take her side. You all like her better. If you had your druthers, it'd be me you'd get rid of. They argue for a bit, and then the uh, key is that... Um... I What I do like about this, the sequence, right? They have their little argument. They're all back and forth, and Rogue just, like, flies off, and she's like, I'm going to go back to the brotherhood of evil mutants she doesn't exactly say that but oh, right because storm says if it proves an inconvenience then consider it fair punishment for a crime that was n- itself the next best thing to murder and that's pretty hardcore it's the truth though 
I suppose. So, she, I mean, she's got to live with the decision that she made. I mean, she's reformed, but she did take her Carol Danvers's emotions. We decided not. But that's a that, that's a rough thing to say to Rogue. I mean, it's I the mean, truth, and, though. And she she reacts appropriately. I know, but you don't. I mean, it's just you don't uh, you don't come out with that in an argument. You talk about it when things are level headed. True, and it, it becomes something that you know everybody has talked about. Everybody, we're has, all, everybody, we're, we all have our comfort level with it. Sure, everybody has a laugh, <laughs> but during the argument, it's just it just makes things worse. I I agree, but what I do like about this sequence is Storm or Rogue flies off, and she's like, oh, "I'm out of here, y'all," and uh, Storm. Uh, so in typical Marvel fashion, this is this would be the beginning of Rogue's adventure where she learns a little bit about herself. Uh, but in this issue, Storm is just like Rogue. And Storm's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she stops flying away. I like that. Well, because it's Carol Danvers now. Carol Danvers stops her. Oh. Well, then it, it could have been about Rogue finding herself. Oh, well. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined everything. So it's Carol Danvers that said, sorry about that. Oh, sorry about that. Carol's voice. That means she's taking control. Had to, Allison. <laughs> Things were getting a little out of hand. I figured the kid could use a chance to cool off. I'm going for like a like a uh, Kathleen Turner. <laughs> oh well, you're not doing a very good job. Catherine Hepburn. No, not neither of those. I wonder how the author will fix this conundrum that he has created. Oh, I I don't know. It'll. Uh... <laughs> It'll either get forgotten or or retconned or who knows. Oh, it's addressed, Adam. Okay. I can't wait till we get there because I never understood how it all f- came together. But Oh, that's fun. When we get there, we'll get there and we'll talk about it. In any event, um, yeah, uh, Carol decided the kid could use some cooling off. Remember Genosha? The magistrate wipeout stripped Wolverine and me of, her, of our powers. Rogue was running things then. The guards got a little fresh. And now we finally get the answer to the question that we had been talking about for so long. What happened between the guards and Rogue? And according to Carol Dammers, the guards got a little fresh. Nothing serious happened, but that wasn't the point. Rogue suddenly found herself helpless, out of control. Also, let's let's not forget she was completely naked. Mm-hmm. And utterly at someone else's mercy. Completely and utterly at someone else's mercy before she'd always had her own power to protect her. Added to that was my physical strength. Bloody, bloody, blah. Shattered it, took it away. So I also read that. And and I guess I think there's two ways you can look at this. And I feel like oh, I, no. I made this concession when we talked about it. Like the guards didn't like have sex with her, but got handsy. However... The way that this is written could be construed as the guards came along and like threw her up against the wall and shoved her on the ground and and were well, just just mean. All along. I'm even willing to con, 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 throw a concession your way and say that maybe they copped a feel or something inappropriate like to that. So we're talking like molestation, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I was even willing to go down that far, but okay. that, that's as far as I was willing to go. So I think. I think we we come out on the same place. I agree. It's I agree. Uh, I think the way it's written, and maybe this is why this is even in here, is that it was kind of darkly written in that Genosha storyline. Do you wonder if they got a lot of letters or something? Nah, I don't. I 
I don't, I don't know. I doubt it. I wonder if uh, Bob Harris was like, hey, Chris, you got to do something about that whole rogue thing. I don't like it. <laughs> or maybe it just didn't sit well with Chris for like a couple of months. And he's like, ah, I got to resolve that whole rogue thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they were just rough with her. Let's 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 back it up a little bit. Pe- pe- it's keeping me up at night. <laughs> People been talking. All right. I, I think we can finally have agreement on that. Yay. <laughs> we'll find something else to argue about. All right. That's been this episode of Danger Room. <laughs> Join us next week. When we disagree about something else. Yep. Um, are Wolverine's claws knife-like or pointy-like? This is something that I really want to discuss and take <laughs> issue and argue with. All right. That's our next <laughs> issue. Anyhow, um, let's see. She uh, So when it seemed it was over, she seemed to be coping until Inferno reopened all those wounds, apparently off screen. Uh, worse than before, leaving the rage and pain endurably raw. She refused to talk to me, wouldn't listen, wouldn't share. Finally, I got fed up and took over. I'm trying to think of what happened to Rogue in Inferno, and I can't yeah. think of anything. I, she wasn't a really big part of Inferno. Not really. Is it that... I, mean, I guess she got, she got big hair. Yeah. Um, I mean, if anybody's got to do some coping, it'd be Longshot and Dazzler. And Dazzler Maybe, doesn't seem to care this issue. You know, it would make more sense as if, like, uh, what they said, uh, merging with Mr. Sinister and being taken over by Mr. Sinister left her raw. Sure, sure, sure. So when she's talking about talking, I, I'm, I'm guessing that, is that like a dream state where they have their conversations? Well, yeah, we saw that in Genosha when, yeah. when after she first was manhandled, right? Uh, she went into that kind of inner state where Carol Danvers stood out. Sure. So I'm assuming that's where they have chats. Okay. Sounds kind of weird, but comics. Well, um, Storm is like, you cannot keep her locked away forever, Carol. For your sake, as much as the teams, you must strike a balance. But Carol says that she is not feeling terribly balanced these days. They don't dress the same. They don't eat the same. They don't drink the same. And their taste in homes. Hmm. And then a very tan Dazzler says, wait a minute. Given the way that we all live, uh, doesn't that doesn't that like not surprise anybody? We're all shaken up. I mean, anybody else to themselves what all of this is for? It's like we fight, save the world, we die, we get resurrected, we rest up, and then start the whole thing all over again. It's like we're living in a comic book. Yes, it's a very long page for her to say, let's go shopping. <laughs> uh, Storm yeah. had reservations, but finally they're like, yeah, sure, let's go shopping. Now, I get that it's sometime later and Dazzler now has a tan, but that's just kind of weird. She likes to tan. <laughs> let's they're in the Australian outback. She, you know, Inferno was a couple weeks ago or a month maybe. And she's just been laying out, soaking I, up them rays. I can't really figure out what color we're going for here. This is like, this is like beyond a tan. It's like purpley. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, so it's she, a, she has a purple tan. It's a, I think that's, that's, that's what's throwing me off. It's Why a, is Dazzler purple? It's a bizarre color 
to use. Her skin is darker than Betsy's pink robe. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. But they're going to go shopping. Meanwhile, at the Hollywood Mall, uh, somebody's like, here they come. And up rolling in like an armored car with like missiles and tank treads and like two little slits for for a window is the M-Mobile. Assuming it's playing the... Bam, 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 M Squad theme it's, song. It's probably in a different octave, or maybe the uh, the hook is played in reverse. Yeah, yeah. So that there's no copyright infringement. <laughs> uh, but they jump out of the vehicle and they're like, "Have no fear, citizens. M Squad is here." That is so corny, Doctor. Now, do you recognize these people? Of course, I do. All right. We, well, we talked about it in Inferno, and I said they come back, and you were like, "Really?" And I said, "Yes." At first, I wasn't sure. I mean, obviously, the woman with the glasses is clearly the same person, which kind of tips it all off. Right. And I, was, I, was, I wasn't entirely sure if they were supposed to be the same people, but I went back and checked their names, and uh, several of them are referred to as the exact same things. Oh, a, a random note that I, uh, we kind of slipped over. Dazzler uh, talks about how she goes and, uh, as, as a way to let off steam, I guess, she goes and does her surprise gigs. And Wolverine's been on Walkabout so much lately, which I believe is this is where he's been like doing his uh, solo series. Gotcha. Bringing armor back from Madripoor to Psylocke. Exactly. Okay. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. I'm glad we have an explanation for why Wolverine has his own comic book series. <laughs> uh, yeah. So these these guys, I guess I was mistaken. These guys have like scientific gadgets and giant gun looking things. So I guess this more or less matches the cover. Have a nice day, Mutie, says the their giant missile. Yeah. So Gateway, presumably, well, they say Gateway, a Marvel or what? He dropped us off the Hollywood Mall. Oh, but first, the very best line of one of the M Squad is, my pants are too tight. Can you hear that? Yes. That is the rain. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 happening. Uh, this is climate change. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing. It's it's just been hot and humid here in Wisconsin. The uh, the way that this will go, uh, it'll probably be gone in in another minute. This is a thing that just happens in, in Buffalo now? Yep. There's there's absolutely no buildup, and then it starts raining, and it's it all comes down at once, and then it goes away. Of course, now that I've said that, it'll be there the whole time. Uh, well, Wisconsin, uh, you go outside your door, and it's like you're swimming. It's, it's the, the summer this year has been uh, hotter and moister than any summer I can ever recall. That's mostly how it is here, too. No. But it's my point is it's different. And my point is my pants are too tight. Yes. Uh, he's a funny guy in this panel only. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they arrive at the Hollywood Mall and they're like, all right, let's go shopping. He teleported us to the Hollywood Mall. And the girl, Jubilee, she's like, wowie, zowie, they appear, uh, uh, they appeared right out of a solid wall. They must be special, same as me. Look at them walking so proud like they own the place, like they own the whole world. They're so beautiful. Uh, I wish, I wish, well, not a prayer. And so they they go shopping. Uh, they get they, uh, Storm they get a makeover. Haircuts. They get haircuts. Uh, Storm, I think it's the biggest makeover. 
I guess. Well, first everybody gets a haircut, or I guess a re-hairstyling. I can't. It's, maybe nobody gets a haircut. They all it's just a get restyled. They get. They all get makeup and they get new hairstyles and haircuts. Well, that, well, that's a different store. First, they go to the cutter. Okay. Or the the stylist, and they all come out and they all have different hairstyles, and then, and then then. And then there's like a bunch of stuff where they're trying on different things, but then in a different store, they're, they are making up storm. So they're doing everything. Yep. It's kind of all mushed together. They're at a shoe store talking about heels and a comical guy thinks to himself, why me? Oh Lord. So beautiful. So crazy. Rogue comes out on like the stage, which is like where you try on clothes and kind of show it off. But, there's like a curtain. She comes out. She got like a, a black uh, tights and a red dress. But really, the prize here is Elizabeth Braddock coming out in like a little leopard print mini skirt deal. And they're like, "How rude! We're proud of you, girl." <laughs> Says Dazzler, I would assume. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> Meanwhile, M Squad, they're they're questioning the chief. Uh, uh, the girl is looking under a garbage can. Um, the guy whose pants are so tight, uh, does he have like a rabbit head on with like some yeah, lights? Yeah, he's, he's, he's got some sort of, uh, yeah, gear. I mean, he, he trips over the other guy and you can see it better in the next panel. It falls off of his face. But that other guy, is he's, he's scouring the ground with a magnifying glass. Uh, and he, so the, the main guy uh, who's talking to the chief says that they're scientists, just like the Ghostbusters. Um, let's see. Uh, the revelation that the original Mutant Busters X-Factor were themselves mutants and their organization of fraud left a void that M-Squad was eager and happy to fill. Trust us, Captain. Also, we're in we're Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, well, that's talked about in a little bit here. Well, I mean, it's like X-Factor wasn't filling the void in Los Angeles. Well, that's a good point. So, I don't know. Yep. So uh, he says, um, let's see, how, does, how do we get there? He says, our current equipment is derived from what we used back in Manhattan. One night last summer, something happened. We don't talk about it. And that's why we left town and changed fields. Uh, excitable woman, don't mind her, but the equipment changed too. It seems alive and somehow nasty. Doctor, none of it's been properly field tested. True to Ghostbusters form, he says, we have the will, we have the skill, we have the technology. Which we don't really compre- comprehend. He does say, not here, Dr. Snadgrass. And that's where we we get uh, even more confirmation of what Jeremy just talked about wasn't confirmation enough. These are the people from that X-Men issue where they got eaten by an elevator. And I guess what we're saying is that this gear still has a little bit of Inferno left in it. Let's call it Inferno juice. Sure. Yeah. There's Inferno juice all over this gear. <laughs> Anyways. Um, all right, ladies. Now that we're dressed to kill, Dazzler dons some shades and says, let's party. I like these two panels. They're fun. Sure. And they go let's to. Let's party. They go to a bar. Bar called Hot Bods. I believe it's a male strip joint. I believe so, too. Or maybe just a strip joint and today's maybe ladies night. Either way, doesn't, doesn't uh, matter. Yeah, okay, sure. And uh, they get a seat right up front somehow. Because when they come into hot bods, everybody turns and they're like, wow, look at those ladies. Whoa. 
We don't I, get ladies like that around here. I hope you are satisfied, Allison. The whole room is staring. At us or, or the gent on the stage. Or I mean, sorry. Uh, that's at us <laughs> or the gent on the stage. Dazzler calls over the mater D and slips him what I can only assume is a fiver and says, I'd like you to arrange a surprise for my friend. Certainly, ma'am. No problem. Our pleasure. Psylocke telepathically says, Allison, if you lost your mind, she'll murder you. She also thinks to herself the thoughts from the audience, and then she says out loud, blush. Yes, she does. I'm not sure what, is that supposed to be a word balloon? Probably not. Uh, I want, no, I don't know. Uh, So the thoughts from the audience, do you think the thoughts are about the guy on the stage or about her? And do you think the blush is in response to what the people are thinking about her or the guy? Or did this guy just drop his pants and she's like, oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Combination of all three. (laughs) Okay. So that's why she literally says blush. She's overwhelmed by all these different thoughts. She's just like, I don't know what to say. Blush. Blush. (laughs) I've done that before many times. (laughs) Um, So... Jubilee is trying to get into hot bods, uh, but the maitre d' or a different concierge, somebody's like, you can't, you're underage, which I feel like Rogue is underage. And I think Storm's underage too, right? Um, They don't look underage, though. They probably didn't ID them. Hmm. I mean, what is underage in 1989? 18. So they're all, they're, I think they're all in their early 20s now. And I think the drinking age is 21, so this is a bar. Yeah, so they're all 21. I don't think they are, Adam. I think Storm is like 17, Rogue is 16, and Dazzler might be the only one who's 22. And I have no idea how old Betsy is. Well, that would make Jubilee like 13. I think she is. Oh, okay. (laughs) Anyways, um, yeah, you can't come in. Uh, And that's when one of the doctor's equipment starts going crazy, and they're like, we found a mutant. Dun, dun, dun. And Patrick Swayze on the stage uh, pulls Storm up to join him on the stage. He says, I told you're a lady who loves to dance. What? I cannot. Oh, Allison. Oh, Allison, the thinnest of thin ice. Sure you can. Feel the music. Seize the moment. Let yourself go. Trust me, you'll love it. We get a couple of panels of Storm figuring out her groove. And I like this panel where she kind of moves her her dress and she's kind of like I can I can just visualize it she's kind of like barely moving yes totally and I love it because Storm is she's from Africa she's had probably a tough life there she was then transplanted to Westchester where she's uh, led kind of this heroic team I don't feel like Storm has had much time to to um, to have fun really I think her outlet has been her plants and now she doesn't even have them so when she finally gets kind of an opportunity when she's prodded into being like a young person to do a young person thing she kind of gives in a little bit but really she's probably just doing like the dorkiest swayiest dance yeah yeah which I I, I like it's uh it's, it's it's very well drawn by Mark Silvestri that all of that we get from one panel. Yep. That's how good it is. A picture can say a thousand words, Adam. Or at least however many we just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could go on, but we're not going to. <laughs> so the M squad is like, oh, over there, over by Hot Bods, but that's just a child. And the Irrelevant, other- doctor. My scanners confirm Dr. Shiner's initial contact. She's the one. 
Yeah, they're shooting at me, says Jubilee. Which is insane. Yeah. The M-Squad just opens up fire at Jubilee. And it it looks like energy laser fire. Oh, yeah. It looks like Ghostbusters. And she's repelling it, I guess, with her fireworks. They're shooting at me. There's a big kind of explosion of light. Um, Dazzler is checking out Storm and her moves. But Betsy sees that something's going on. Or detects something that's going on. Who are you guys? Psy powers. Why are you picking on me, says Jubilee. Nothing personal, young lady. We're M-Squad. So they open up the mutant containment grid, which is just like this giant set of jaws. And I'm it's not sure why it's so large. And it's huge. So my my imagination is that it was probably like the size of a backpack, but because of Inferno juice, they like set it up and it like expanded to that size. I'm okay with that. But they never address it. Yeah. I mean, the 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 uh Alternative is that they just carry in this giant thing comically. <laughs> that, we just got to lift it up the escalator. Yeah. And we're going to put it down and hopefully we can get the mutant to walk in front of this giant death trap looking thing. And the other guy says, I don't know, George, we weren't totally sure of its capabilities before. So as we've determined that like, these guys don't know how to operate this equipment, it's all strange. It's all got a little Inferno juice, um, but they fire it on. And it just starts sucking, I don't know, the mall inside of it. <laughs> the the tendrils of some sort of energy are sucking Jubilee in. And also they destroy the entire wall of hot bods. And that's when the ladies notice the trouble. How perceptive, Betsy, we noticed. The the little tendrils, uh, Jubilee calls those streamer thingies. Uh, she's all tangled up on them. She can't use her fireworks and she can't bust loose. And that's when M Squad's like, "Oh, the grid's out of control. It won't shut off." We warned you, Doctor. Typical cheap executive. He never listens. Uh, yeah. Constructive suggestions would serve us better now than pure criticism. And they run away. And the X-Men run out into the, uh, I guess, the mall <laughs> from Hot Bods. And they immediately recognize that the device looks like something from Inferno. I I wish that, and everybody does this now, I wish they wouldn't refer to that event as Inferno. <laughs> Sorry, man. I mean, obviously it's for our benefit as the reader, but why would everybody commonly come up with a name for it? Well, I guess, I don't know. Maybe that's just what we do. Anyways, I don't know. Looks like it came from Inferno. Storm fires her powers. If she can concentrate its attention full force on me, perhaps I can weaken it sufficiently for the others to affect the rescue. Assuming I'm not consumed by myself, she thinks to herself. And the uh, M squad sees the rest of the mutants and they realize that's why the uh, devices were registering such a large mutant quotient. And they immediately just start, start attacking the rest of the X-Men, which I guess they're brave for that. Yeah. They, these, they seem clearly outclassed. Yep. The X-Men do some rescuing. Betsy saves Jubilee from the trap. Um, it's out of control. Rogue saves a couple of kids from some shrapnel-looking stuff. Yeah, these are good kids, too. The one kid's going to sacrifice his life to save the other kid. 
Yeah, no way, sis, lie flat. Let me cover you. Yeah. Uh, Betsy continues to pull at Jubilee, and uh, they're, they give it all their strength, and they're able to pull free of the trap. Storm. Jubilee says, uh, it's got me. I'm going to be dead, same as mom and dad. <gasps> yep. So her, she's an orphan. She's a homeless orphan living in the Hollywood Mall. Just like Cyclops. Interesting. Maybe she is Cyclops. Maybe Mr. Sinister cloned Scott and turned him into Jubilee. Maybe she's Mr. Sinister. May yeah. <laughs> Storm uses a hurricane hurricane force wind to blow the trap out of the top of the mall over um I wanted to say the ocean, but it's not the ocean, just up in the air, and that's when Dazzler uses her Little pew pew finger guns to disintegrate it. Blast the sucker to kingdom come, and presumably any debris is carried away by the winds of storm. I'd like to think that they're over like a, a residential park, and just like sharp <laughs> molten pieces of metal are just falling on them. Mommy, mommy, why is it raining fire? <laughs> uh, so the police come and arrest M Squad. Yeah, they're well, just they're, giving they're, them a hard they're, time. They're, yeah, they're questioning them, and, uh, you know, they clearly caused everything. Yep. Meanwhile, the uh, the four ex-ladies sneak out through Gateway's little teleportation portal, which... No sign of the kid they were after. She slipped away after Psylocke pulled her free. Even scans were unable to locate her again. What? That feels like a cop-out. <laughs> yeah. Probably long gone. Hope she's okay. So that, that means that in addition to her light abilities, she has the ability to block psi scans or because it appears that Gateway is leaving this portal open longer than he normally would, maybe Gateway's isolating the psi powers. Or maybe it's just lazy writing. Or maybe the Inferno Trap blocked her away from... Uh, size scans and maybe because Betsy was also a part of it her size scans suck right now yeah that would have been more of an interesting thing to be like oh man the thing messed with my psi abilities it'll come back in an hour but for now I can't find the kid yeah I don't know or something like that anyways the portal stays open and she's like oh boy those cops are giving M squad the business probably can't stay at the mall anymore they're never gonna give up on me huh the portal's still open maybe I should go in eh alright I could make I could things just worse. be making things worse, but I don't care. And she jumps in to the portal. Plinked. The next issue is called Men. Yep, it sure is. Uh, I didn't own that issue growing up. You didn't own Men? I owned this issue, but not Men. It Somehow was... I don't think Men is going to be as good. Um, well, I don't know. There's a guest artist, so... You got that to look forward to. We'll find out. I'm not going to spoil who the guest artist is. I'm not either. <laughs> you already looked it up? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so there you go. The introduction of the most powerful Omega Mutant, Jubilee. <laughs> Good old Jubilee. It's probably one of my favorite uh, X-Men characters. I look forward to her addition to Wolverine because I'm not actually really digging the Wolverine comic in its current form. Well, you're going to have to wait a while because I don't think she shows up until like the 30s. Really? I mean, she doesn't. Yeah. 
Uh, that's surprising because she's got about six X-Men. Well, spoilers. She's got about six X-Men issues before she's hanging out with them. So Wolverine is about to go through a a bad streak. I would recommend that you stop reading it after issue nine. And I'll let you know when Larry Hama starts writing it again. Perfect. Um, which is like 30 or 31 or something like that. It gets it go it goes from it goes from okay to all right. There's a Peter David uh, six parter that's pretty interesting, and John Byrne takes over, and I can barely remember any of that. And then it just goes off on all these one shots and and uh, like a four parter or something that are just even as a kid, I knew they were just not good. <laughs> wow. And I I was like, man, I don't know, I don't know if I want to collect this anymore. <laughs> that's saying something. And even as uh, even as Larry Hammond took over, I was like, I, I still had that bad juju coming into it, and it was like I I didn't even I bar- I almost didn't give it a chance. Uh, so yeah, we uh, we got a little bit of communique here. We got uh, Rosa Toe on uh, the iTunes, who says. On our last podcast, you mentioned a series starring Havoc, who was dating or married to Madeline Pryor in an alternate dimension. You guys called it X-Men. I was screaming, and I think we knew this was going to be the case. Mutant (laughs) X! It was then that I knew that I was a true comic nerd who may have had too much free time in his early teens. Anyway, love your podcast. By the way, I like the format of you mainly covering Uncanny X-Men with mention of what's going on in the other X-Books for that month. This will be useful for when you get into the 90s. Ugh, it's going to be a mess as we get into the 90s. Yeah, the 90s, but... we're, gonna, we're really going to have to figure out what we're going to do. We're not looking forward to it. It's a lot of reading and... I don't yeah. know if there's much substance, but I don't really recall. I think it starts out pretty good, but I think it gets bad. It might get to a point where we're just listing off titles that we may or may not have read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have read that. I don't know. What yeah, happened? I don't know. X-Force number uh, 24 happened. We might have to like divide and conquer where, where I read one book, Adam reads the other book, and we just kind of like, oh, so so what else happened? <laughs> yeah. It'll be a very one-sided uh, uh, podcast. And it's probably going to be all bullet points like cable shot Shatterstar. <laughs> uh, That's all that really happened this lo- issue. All the feet look terrible. <laughs> uh, Angus Livingston writes, hi, uh, guys, I'm a new listener and I'm starting at the very beginning. It's been great thus far and I'm only too happy to be along for the ride with you guys. Well, greetings from the future in the past. Technically, he wrote that in April, but I went back and I looked up the like. So, Apple's making it harder and harder for us to look up uh, reviews from other places. So this is from Canada. Oh, um, and the next one is from Great Britain. Uh, but yeah, it, it's getting really tough to to look up iTunes reviews from other places. That one's from Charles McCoy. Been. Going back in the classics from the 60s, and they are brilliant. Thanks to Adam and Jeremy. What a great podcast. Thanks, Hori. Is that a Great Britain thing? I don't know. <laughs> that, that's a great That's a great question. Uh, I thought maybe it was a name. I'm going to sign off all my emails from here on out, Hori. H-O-R-R-Y. There's a, there's a Hori County. <laughs> oh, now we're just showing how ignorant we are. Well, it's yeah, sad to. It, are these the only uh, um, overseas um, reviews, or have we been missing like all sorts of them? And we've got listeners who are like, "I'm not listening to this podcast because <laughs> they read all only the American ones." So, 
when I went through and I dug up the Canadian and the Great Britain ones and, and, and uh, there were a few that I wasn't sure if we had covered or not. So if I skipped your uh, review, I'm, I'm sorry. Or you know. wrote a bad uh, review. No, no, there weren't any bad ones. Adam, play, I, play along. Oh, yeah. Or you wrote a bad review. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can do so by uh, getting in touch with us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, on Twitter at Danger Room Go, uh, or probably the best way to communicate with us is on uh, our email, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. That doesn't care what country you're from. Uh, or you can go to iTunes, which, uh, you know, I mean, I guess all of those ratings and rankings and reviews mean something to charts and such. Uh, so, I don't know, go there and do some stuff if you would. Uh, we're Danger Room. You can find us there. Where you can call us, leave a voice message at 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. Uh, or just go out to patreon.com forward slash Danger Room, where you can give us Money. <laughs> money. Speaking money, money, of money, uh, money. speaking of uh uh pa- Patreon things uh pa- Patreon things we were we were uh, tangentially discussing whether or not we wanted to cover the House of X and Powers of X as a Patreon exclusive. I read somewhere that is actually titled "The Powers of Ten. Oh well. <laughs> I uh, I don't want to spoil anything. What I've read, the first House of Ten is—is is that what we're well, it's, going? It's House of X and Powers of Ten. I don't like that. I already I... hate it. <laughs> I mean, just just well, based on those go. titles. You got a you got a free review. <laughs> Only of the titles. I I haven't revealed what I think of the actual issue number one of House of X, Ten Houses. <laughs> um. We were potentially thinking about making that a Patreon exclusive. So uh, let us know if you want to give us money to listen to that. It would be at a low, low Patreon. Yeah. Like it wouldn't. Probably, I think the lowest you can go is like a buck. So yeah. probably be a buck. So is that what we would do? Just like anybody who's a Patreon would just get that episode? Yeah. So there you go. A buck uh, on the Patreon. Uh, and well, I mean, we're not committing to it at this point. But I think we'd like to hear some feedback. Like, is there interest? And in... here's the problem with the... Uh, House of X, Powers of Ten. Like I was looking at kind of the reading order, which is very basic. Uh, they just alternate between those issues. But it was also talking about what do you need to know before reading this? And it kind of listed off like uh, Grant Morrison's new X-Men and then a run of, I think, the third edition of Uncanny X-Men. Well, I think those are just like recommended readings. I don't think you actually have to read any of that. You, right. And that's you do not have to read any of that. But yeah, exactly. I think the it will help you maybe understand a little bit better where you're at. Um, I've read a smidge of Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Um, and I have not read any of that third edition of Uncanny X-Men. And I don't plan on it for this. So, so... <laughs> The perspective that I will bring to this is not knowing what's going on because <laughs> there's I, I've read the issue and I have lots of questions <laughs> and I don't know that you probably even have the answers, Adam. So so the whole podcast might be like, why is he doing that? What's happening now? Where are okay, we? So don't tell me that's a Patreon. I, I, thing. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just I'm, I'm thinking like the format of these episodes, if we if we do them, will definitely not follow the format of the danger room. Um, they would probably be more of just kind of us 
spitballing off of each other and talking about, uh, you know, asking questions and trying to answer them and that sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, it might, it would probably be much shorter too. <laughs> so there you go, folks. Uh, let us know what you think and then, uh, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do it or not. We'll see. <laughs> There's always that. <laughs> but if we get enough feedback saying like, that's super cool. Then I'd give you a dollar to hear how much you don't know about the X-Men these days. <laughs> uh, you know, we might, we might sally forth and do that. In the meantime, oh, I should also mention that our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Uh, we did read some other stuff, including the backup story of X-Men Annual number 13. Yeah, it takes place mere seconds after the story we just read. Well, the beginning does anyway. Yeah, uh, it, it does. Uh, what happens on the other side of the portal? It's... Uh, we got a penciler, Jim Fern, who I've never heard of before, and Sally Pashkow, who really dials up the teenage dialogue. Which is way better than, um, you know, I would say Chris Claremont. Better than as Barth. Far, as, far as, as far as capturing sort of a youthful voice, I think it's a little bit better. It's may not, maybe not 100% accurate, but I think it... It works in that it's sort of over the top. It's very over the top. Uh, and the majority, if not the entire issue, eh, there's a few dialogue boxes, but the majority of this issue is told from her. Uh, she's narrating like, what happened next? Yeah. Uh, we're not going to read all that. But um, the ladies, they show up and they kind of head back down to the town. And a few moments later, Jubilee falls through the portal and she tries to have a conversation with gateway who actually says welcome child to her now is this the first last and only time <laughs> gateway speaks i have no idea and i don't know if it's in canon <laughs> I, uh, it makes me kind of wonder so the, the re everything else in the story plausible makes sense fits within canon um gateway standing up to say welcome child um it's weird because, yes, in my understanding, it would be the first and last time he speaks. Yes, we'll does, have to keep track of that. Does he ever come back after the X-Men move on? I believe he is in House of X number one. Yeah, you would think that based on some information. But see, you're spoiling it for the Patreon. Oh, well, then just edit that out. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, maybe is my preferred answer. So spoilers, uh, the 13 variant covers feature a lot of major X-Men. Not all of those people appear in House of X. Well, they've already read it. Come on. <laughs> oh, well, maybe they've been waiting for us to talk about it. <laughs> no one's waiting for us. Yeah. They might be waiting for us now that we've mentioned it. But I mean, not not waiting to read it, I hope. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyways, uh, yeah, so so a light erupts on the on the hilltop where Gateway sits, and all of the X-Men come out, and they're like, whoa, what's going on? There's a big light. Gateway's bonfire. And Rogue's like, he's never said a word, not even to me. Right, because if he were to say a word, it would have to be to her. Absolutely. She's, she's just swell. She is. She's, the, she's Everybody talks to Rogue. She's the one that you would want to talk to. Has she brought Gateway sandwiches yet? 
uh, I think that happened. <laughs> I'm getting my things confused. Uh, I know she brought or is bringing him sandwiches at some point. I feel yeah. like that already happened. And maybe because of that interaction, she's like, not even me. And I brought him sandwiches. Maybe that is a reference or this is a reference to that. Yeah. I feel like that did happen. Okay, good. So Jubilee is up on the hilltop. Um, she's cold. She doesn't know where to go. She's in the middle of a desert. Uh, when the sun goes down in a desert, it gets super cold. And Gateway, he walks up, doesn't say anything, but points off into a direction. He doesn't say a word. Maybe I, like, used up his quota for the year. Jeez, I could use a bathroom. <laughs> so she heads over to a crater and there's a hole of like smooth polished glass and she's she's worried that she doesn't know if it's dangerous down there and that there might actually be radiation but i guess based on her narration uh, uh gateway pushed her in the butt to make her fall down the hole the slime ball little crudwad which of course wasn't what i said but after all i am a lady he pushed me down the hole and so, yeah, she, she kind of slides down this little treasure pile that she lands in. And she she also talks about being a world-class star gymnast at Beverly Hills Prep. She's able to uh, turn that slide into a flip and stick the landing once again. Ta-da! Wow! She says as she sees all of this treasure. She's surrounded by uh, gold, as in schmaug kind of territory um and is that the siege perilous the mirror yeah i don't think so but i, I can mean, see why, why you would, would ask be, that i think it's yeah. just a, a stand-up mirror okay kind of looks like it but i think the the siege perilous is a thing that you can stick into your pocket and then when you throw it it gets really big mm. so the x-men don't keep it in the basement with all the gold no <laughs> I don't think the X-Men know that this exists. Sure they do. This is where they get all their money from. Is it? I don't know. This, I mean, it's not explicitly said. Like, we know that Longshot fell somewhere and he was using his psycho tele whatever to uh, give treasure back when they played um, Santa. Carol Danvers knows, and that's how she bought all that stuff in a room. I just think that this might be like a different treasure room, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe and, it's all connected. And, and you're right. Maybe, maybe Carol's like, "Ooh, I'm gonna use some of this to buy me some postmodern art." Jubilee's T-shirt is more frowny than it was in the previous issue. I feel like in the previous issue it was meh, and now it's more like meh. Yeah. Well, she rectifies that pretty quickly. She puts on a tiara and a dress. She uh, she talks about how her body doesn't like. I can't remember exactly where it is. Where her her, her body. She's talking about how she doesn't have boobs and her body doesn't like stick out and stuff like That's that. That's coming up. Not yet. Oh, okay. But I wanted to talk about that because that gets changed later on. Well, <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, well, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Anyways. She calls herself a silly skank, which perhaps is meant something different back then. She also eighty nine. She also refers to herself more than once as Chica, which she's not Hispanic, but maybe that's what uh, whoever the writer is thought that teenage girls referred to themselves as. Yeah, or maybe maybe at this point she is Hispanic. I mean, all we know about her so far is that her name is Jubilation. I guess that's true, but she's 
I hate to say it, but she's got kind of racistly drawn slanty eyes. Yeah, but it could also be, it could just be makeup. Yeah. At this point, but yeah. I, you're I mean, right. No, nothing, you're right. Nothing in here has referenced that she's Asian. In fact, when I first read the last issue of X-Men, I thought she was just a girl from Brooklyn. I never even really read the caption that said that they were in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not really, I think, until Jim Lee comes along where they emphasize the Asian-ness of it. But when she's rooting around in the X-Men's um, uh, stuff while the X-Men play baseball, she mm-hmm. has kind of like a, a thick she she has Asian hair and she's got Asian eyes. Okay. I don't know. Like stereotypical Asian hair and Asian eyes. Yes. I agree with that. So anyways. Uh so either she didn't the, the writer didn't get the memo about her being Asian and is just trying to make her Hispanic, or she thinks Chica is just a cool thing to say to about yourself. And it could be either. After she climbs out of the uh she she realizes she's hungry. So she leaves the the gold room and breaks into one of the ex houses, the one with the kitchen, and she sees the boys playing uh, baseball with the girls and realizes that they're more of a team. But she says that the uh, the guys are totally gas. A couple of the guys are totally gas, which I, I guess means they're good looking, maybe. Uh, and I don't know who she's, she, she definitely, uh, thinks Havoc is handsome. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I just said, Jeremy, he's gas. <laughs> I'm sorry. But he, she refers to the, like a couple of the guys, but the only guys we see are Colossus, Havoc and Wolverine. Well, Colossus has been, lots of women have commented about how he's a very striking man. Sure. So, so maybe she thinks he's gas as well. I think I think Colossus, it's fair to say, is gas. Better watch that mouth, Mr. Cutie. <laughs> She's referring to Havoc. And so, yeah, typical X-Men baseball, some pitches, some some sky-high uh, balls that the flying mutants can catch. Uh, good stuff. Good, good old-fashioned uh, X-Men baseball. And she goes back in to get her knapsack of stolen goodies, and it's missing. It's not on the counter where she knows she left it. Which, if you look back on the previous page, that is where she left it. Yep. And she's like, well, that's weird. I mean, I thought I left it on the counter, but I found it by the door. Oh, well. And she kind of crawls through this, uh, uh, this, I don't know what you call it, but it's a side view of a really curvy tunnel. It's like if you got claustrophobia, man, you're screwed. Yeah, the, the place that she's living is like this eight by eight hole in the ground that I guess is only connected to by like a drain pipe. But a Jubilee is fearless. I mean, we don't see the ceiling ever, but I assume that there's no ceiling here. So you're laying down here, you're sleeping, you got your goodies that you've pilfered from the X-Men. And then all of a sudden an avalanche occurs, like there's nowhere for you to go. You're dead. (laughs) Yeah. I thought of that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, she's got a stand up mirror. She's got a bed. Uh, she's grabbed a bunch of goodies, some food, and she's grabbed, well, she's also kept a picture of her and her family. Her dad looks very Asian, as does her mom. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, and she looks weird. She looks like one of the lost children from Peter Pan, or the Lost Boys. <laughs> I, which might be on purpose. Could be on purpose. Uh, and she's wearing the same shirt, it looks like. the In, Oh, the uh, the... 
Like the mash shirt. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Or maybe she has a series of ironic uh, happy face shirts. Um, yeah, so she, she puts on Rogue's costume and she's like, um, uh, well, I and guess I, I, we get a little bit of origin about her family. Her 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 family is at the bottom of Mall Holland Drive. The cops said it was an accident. What do they know? Good thing they are croaked. I'd kill them for dumping me in a body like this. Oh, she, now she's talking about her parents. Yeah, good thing they're croaked because I'd kill them for dumping me in a body like this. Stupid thing doesn't stick out anywhere. Stupid costume does. Now, do you remember the Marvel swimsuit issue? Of course I do. Every teenage <laughs> boy remembers that. The swimsuit that they put Jubilee in stuck out everywhere. Well, that was the 90s. <laughs> Everybody stuck out in every direction in the 90s. <laughs> so, it's funny. But I, I, I like that they are purposely making uh, this character not comic booky you're right she's she's maybe she's normal she's the 80s or she's the 90s kitty pride yeah so uh and she then she starts putting on uh bits and pieces of all of the x-men's co- uh, co- um, costumes she's got dazzler's little top she's got rogue's boots leotard from dazzler boots from rogue gloves from which she doesn't even put on from wolverine Vest from Storm, bag from Longshot, and last touch, a pair of the most ultimately killer shades. Do you think those are some of Wolverine or, or Cyclops's spare ruby quartz glasses? I do. Uh, and they just they just kept them because like, well, you never know when you're going to run into Cyclops and he's going to need an extra pair of glasses. Probably everybody who's ever met Cyclops has a pair of those just in case. Because, <laughs> you know, you never know when Cyclops is going to go into a, my deadly eyes yeah, phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she she heads off. She's ready to rock and roll. And as she leaves, the picture of her family falls over for some reason. And cracks. Mm-hmm. The glass cracks right over her face. A little while later, there's a storm and she's she's swimming in a pond, which is by a big computer system. Yeah, there's this monster cavern deep underground, complete with its own lake. That's where the local water comes from. It is very strange that she can see herself bathing on the on the gigantic TV. Well, we find out later that there's this robotic dog, and the robotic dog has camera eyes, and what the dog sees is what's on the screen. Yes, but uh, and this, I'm this... I'm assuming that it is the robot dog that moved the bag and uh, broke the picture. I guess it could be. I was going to say, what if it's Longshot? Because we haven't seen him at all this issue. Well, I guess I'm assuming that because we never find out. We don't. And the dog doesn't really make any sense. Like, I don't think the X-Men know that this dog is here. Definitely not. This feels like a a, re- a leftover Reaver. Yeah, absolutely. A Reaver dog. Um, well, anyway, so she has to she has to fight the Reaver dog. Yeah, it's, it's, it's half dog, half cyborg. It's got... Uh, legs that turn into Mr. Fantastic arms. Um, I thought this was going to turn out to be her pet, but she ends up having to kill it. I think it would have been awesome if this would be like her friend. Yeah, I thought so too. But I think it's it's more of a like a like here's an introduction to Jubilee. Right? She's she's an orphan. She's got some power. She's a little thief. Uh, her parents are dead. 
And now what about her powers? Because she doesn't really use her powers too much until we get towards the end of the issue when she uses her powers to disintegrate the dog. And she's like, oh, I didn't know my powers could do this. Up until now, I've just been doing little fireworks and stuff. Well, I'm Jubilee. I can do anything. I can do things. I've got power. But I also don't know that she ever uses her powers to this extent again. Does she? Not that I'm aware of. I'm not that I'm aware of either. I don't really know. I don't really remember any. She doesn't really come into her own until like Jim Lee, I guess. And then, then she's all substance, right? Or not yeah. substance. She's all uh, looks, no substance. Well, no, she's, I mean, Claremont doesn't draw characters without some substance. No, I mean, right, I'm, rather. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe she's on the gold team or whatever team Claremont's not writing. I don't remember. But she's at that point, she does. She makes her way over to Wolverine where she has tons of substance. So there you go. A little little introduction uh, in uh, to to Jubilee. She's officially hanging out at the Outback X-Men base. I don't think it'll, I think it'll be three or four more issues before we see her again. Probably. I don't really remember. Something like that. X-Factor number 40 features art by Rob Liefeld. Yeah, yeah, not not the good kind either. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely see Rob Liefeld in the hair and the mouths. And the fact that barely anybody has their eyes open. Everybody is squinting for some reason. Because he doesn't draw eyeballs very well. And every time he does, you can see why he doesn't draw eyeballs. Because just they make people look weird. So the, these issues of X-Factor and New Mutants are really about kind of kind of like the resolution we got at the last issue of x-factor or like cyclops you're innocent like we kind of resolve all of these little puzzle pieces and this issue the big the big hubbub is what's the deal with nanny and where are galen and jojo this jojo (laughs) (laughs) there are two kids that are related joey i think is the other is it joey jojo I think it's Joey. Joey Jojo Shabadoo. Do they call him Jojo somewhere? No, I just... Or are you just making stuff up? I couldn't remember what his name was. (laughs) I remember Galen, and I couldn't remember the other guy's name. So the question that I had was, they go to a funeral of Madeline Pryor, and they also mention that they went to Candy Southern's funeral. Uh, Somebody says it's been a week of funerals. So it's been a week, and now they're finally returning all of the babies. Why are they holding on to the babies for a week? It seems like that would be the first thing they would do. I don't know. Uh, and also the Greys, Grandma and Grandpa Gray. By the way, Grandma Gray is just crazy looking in all of these panels. Only when you can see her eyes. <laughs> uh, they can't go in because they're not mutants. So they've just kind of been hanging out on the uh, deck, I guess. Yeah, for a week. For a week. It doesn't really make any sense between the babies and, I don't know, all of that. Uh, We do close a loop. Like, where where are Artie, Leech, and Taki going to go? Well, they're going to go back to school. Yay. So, exit those three. Do we ever see Taki again? That's the question. Yep, I don't know, but they're off. Um, Nanny and and Orphan Mate, well, even the ship is like, hey... Guys, uh, I sent something kind of hazy on my sensors, and Beast Riceman's like, well, if it ain't bothering us, it ain't bothering us, so don't worry about it. (laughs) 
I don't know what that's a reference to. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, they just came off of Inferno where a whole bunch of crazy stuff is. You'd think that they would investigate absolutely everything, but they don't. Uh, and it's it's Nanny and Orphan Maker kind of hanging out, like looking for the babies. They want to get these babies. Um, and this there's this panel on page seven where it's a top-down shot and you see Beast sings there here but it is a really really amateur drawing of beast i get the feeling that rob liefeld loves drawing beast because there's a lot of them in a lot of different dynamic poses throughout this thing but but none of them are very good some of them some of them are good but just way out of place but i'm talking about this specific top down shot yeah yeah where they it it's bad it is really really bad and i don't know if he's trying like everybody else is more or less fine beast looks like if rob liefeld was babysitting that day he grabbed the kid and said draw beast i think he's on the move and i think this is like a a action shot no it's wrong like he he looks like a giant tick with with huge arms it's not good i agree with you little squat legs and it doesn't make any sense because everybody else's perspectives are just fine if we're going to pick on everything that is not good in this issue, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> this was the one thing that just like blew my mind as far as like, what happened? How did some, like the anchor should have been like, Rob, we got to have a quick chat. <laughs> can we just, right, er- look at, can we just erase beast from this panel? Look at Rusty's eyes in the, on the same page. He looks like he's got cross eyes or something. He looks stoned. He's not, he's not looking at anybody. He just looks like, yeah, he looks like he's stoned. I just saying, Adam, like I can take that, but that, that picture of beast, I can't take. There's another picture of beast where he's laying sexily on the side of a plane. And that is horrible. That is the one that I can't take. (laughs) I think like from a figure perspective, I think it's actually pretty good drawing, but it's just like bizarrely out of place for what's happening in this issue. Well, there's a reason that the back part of his leg is shaded because it looks like it's face up. Which would be impossible. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so they talk about Christopher. The, one of the grandparents is like, well, we're almost grandparents because the woman that you cheated on our daughter with was a clone of our daughter. So everything's okay. Remember how the Power Pack parents were like really upset about the Power Pack kids having mutant powers? Yeah. Not not the Greys. Oh, they're totally into it. They love it. They love this little boy. And they're like, yeah, we'll watch him. And um. Gene does not want to leave him behind, but they have to now go to Washington to return these babies because they came from Nebraska. I don't know why they're going to Washington, but I guess they're going to place the babies in federal custody. Because the feds are going to deal with them, and that's all. That's all. That's all she wrote. Yep. And Gene's also like, okay, well, we saved all these people, but we haven't seen Joey and Galen. So, so as soon as we do all of this other stuff, then we'll finally look for Joey and Galen. And they talk a little bit about Nanny and stuff. And speaking of which, uh, as they take off in their little X-Factor jet, uh, the the Nanny bubble follows them and chases them. And and then they fight. Um, and ultimately, they're able to... in. <laughs> there is a funny picture of beasts sitting on top of Nanny's armor. Just, yep, yep. Which I... I don't actually mind the pose of Beast, but this it, one's not terrible. The proportions are are pretty odd, but anyways. that's standard fare. And and Rob Liefeld <laughs> has a very distinct smiley mouth thing that he draws. Yeah, and he draws it here too. But anyways, 
Look at the number of flechettes that are taking out uh, uh, Peter, uh, Orphan Maker, in the previous page. Hundreds. That's like, yeah. <laughs> That's got to be the body weight of Angel <laughs> in flechettes flying at, at Peter, Orphan Maker. He should have no wings after that. Uh, so they fight. Um, Angel is is not showing any mercy, but then um, Nanny screams, which at, at at that point Angel's like, "How can a robot scream? Oh my God, Nanny's a person!" Well, Angel, I don't know. The, the like a page later, he threw all of his flechettes, and Marvel Girl had to block them from killing the ten babies that are sitting in the back of their plane. That's a good Why, point. You think Angel would be like, "Whoa." <laughs> what did I almost just do there? <laughs> I almost killed the babies. And they keep drawing the Washington Monument. That pointy thing's the Washington Monument, right? It sure looks like it. Right, yeah. So I, I kept thinking, like, are they going to, like, crash into it? Like, they keep showing it, but... They... It looks like they're going to force the jet through it or something. But they never do. They crash... This, uh, this picture of Angel has some pretty decent eyes. He's got normal-looking eyes. Uh, yeah, and, and like uh, a, a weird mouth sneer that, that looks pretty human. Yeah, you know, Rob Liefeld does decent close-ups. He does good close-ups. Should stick with it. Yep, <laughs> never draw the full figure. His perspective of Angel flying towards us isn't that bad either. He's got some good stuff in here. Yeah. Uh, on the next page, his Jean Grey, uh, her hair has just gotten ridiculous sized. <laughs> that That's a Liefeldism. He loves to draw lots of hair with those hash, those those trademark Liefeld hash marks in the hair, it is three times the width of her body. Yeah, it's it's gigantic hair. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, telekinetics are used to slow the landing and whatnot. But the important piece here is we actually get the origin of Nanny, which is the thing that I have been looking for for a while, uh, and it's weirdly laid out here. Like Nanny's like, well, I've heard the story a hundred times, so I'll just tell all you guys. It doesn't feel like there was any thought put into this. Nope, not at all. Uh, Nanny uh, was a scientist. She, for the right. For the right. She worked for a, an organization called The Right. I was trying to make sure that I got the sex right because I felt like they were going back and forth. But yeah, she's a woman. Uh, and she was designing the smiley face um, armor or robots or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. Uh, they were going to use these robots to destroy mutants, but she was a mutant and this made her mad. So some of her coworkers got wind of this and locked her up in some other armor that she was working on. And now she's stuck in that armor and it nearly drove her crazy. So she escaped. She escaped and she rescued uh, Orphan Maker, who apparently was another progeny of Mr. Sinister, much like Cyclops. So we get a little bit of the origin of Orphan Maker, too. And within the ship, Gene discovers Joey, Jojo, and Galen. But they're still a little mind-wiped, and they're like, we don't need a mother. We have a mother. Or we have a nanny. Nanny's yeah. got us. And Gene's like, what? You don't recognize <laughs> me? Oh, my God, I'm so angry. Is it because of my gigantic hair? <laughs> nanny, you put them back, or I'll personally tear you apart bolt by bolt. You see, my orphan maker, Nanny's gamble, did not pay off. And we then they have, just kind of walk away. We have lost our birds in the hand as well as those in the bush. And they walk into some fog and disappear, which Beast is like, well, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't disappear. They, they teleported away, but they left the children. So, so there's that. I feel like Liefeld is just drawing kind of these dynamic panels 
and Louise Simonson is having to make them make sense. Yeah, like the panel of uh, uh, Jean kind of whipping her head back around saying like, it's that pixie dust you used. It's a pretty good panel. Yeah. Despite the enormous amount of hair. Uh, It's very, it's very, I feel it's very McFarlane-esque. Yes, but I, I, I don't know if that's intentional or unintentional, but but yes. Uh, and then the next few panels do not have the same level of dynamics. It was more like the quick talk between Liefeld and Simonson. We're like, okay, now you got to get them out of there. And he's like, all right, I'll just draw these two <laughs> things. I'll just have them leave. Yeah, <laughs> so they do. <laughs> and so X Factor shows up in Washington and are greeted by... Uh, freedom force we're like we'll take those babies and uh you know rusty uh we're gonna furlough him so he doesn't have to go back to the jail uh but he'll stand trial someday maybe and there's a <laughs> really bad picture of B- of um blob with a really bad yeah. smile and uh yeah so they're like all right well we got galen and joey jojo back who recognize grandma and grandpa they're super happy to see grandma and grandpa and gene's like what they don't know me but they know you apparently Um, nanny wiped away parents and like aunts, I guess, but not grandparents. Yeah. It doesn't really make any sense. Um, but it does leave Jean Grey with the sense that she needs to go find her sister, Sarah, which is presumably the direction that X factor will take off in the coming months. I, I guess. And in the next issue, issue number 41, remember that contest we talked about before Fall of the Mutants? I do. This, we get to meet that character. That's that's exciting. Yeah. Sort of. It's, it is not. Because <laughs> when I think about like, all the Marvel characters I created, I'm like, well, that one? Really? <laughs> Disappointing. Anyways, so there you go. Um, and another- Interestingly enough, most of those babies... Um, will appear in a, later issues of uh, New Mutants and moving forward, some of them continue. Wow. None, none of them are like super famous characters, though. Hmm. And that brings us to the New Mutants number 75, where Magneto battles the Black King and nothing will ever be the same. And this is actually not a bad issue. Yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, even realize this. It was a John Byrne penciling. Oh yeah, I didn't realize it either. The the inking kind of uh, maybe is not his best inker. Yeah, it, it seemed to lack some of the burnisms. I did not immediately recognize it as burn, but I also was reading the issue like I, I'm digging this art, I'm digging this story, so kind of kind of all makes sense. We find out what happened to Sabretooth. He was just uh, unconscious at the mansion the whole time, and apparently somebody dropped a large piece of wall on him which now that the mutants are there they they move the wall and uh Sabretooth promptly promptly attacks them and is promptly knocked out by cannonball goes flying backwards and uh, uh warlock proclaims that he is dead because uh Sabretooth at this point is a punching bag <laughs> although uh danny does say is he odd the valkyrie's gift lets me see death coming he's dead and yet death isn't coming for Sabretooth. i wonder why i wonder why too cannonball says well your power's been weird so anyways you think there's any mother marauders around <laughs> magneto and the hellfire club show up and the new mutants are like no magneto we don't like you 
<laughs> and and that's uh, when Shaw's like, look, you can't even keep your... You lost your X-Men. You can't even keep your new mutants in line. Let's fight. I'm going to fight your students. And then you and I can and then, fight. The new mutants kind of take handy care of the Hellfire Club pretty easily until Magneto wraps them up in a metal ball. Yeah, yeah. We've had many multiple part issues of the X-Men fighting the Hellfire Club. And the new mutants are like... Nah, we got this. Pretty much. Um, Warlock does this thing where he turns into like a bizarre robot dog, and I really like it. <laughs> I want I want McFarlane toys to make this, and I'll buy it. Not the first panel, but the second panel. McFarlane toys isn't so great anymore. You want you you got to have NECA do these things. Oh, they're okay, they're the, they're the top now. I want a NECA statue of this. Done. Sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Magneto wraps them all up into a metal ball, and that's when he... And stupidly asks, who is that little girl, and where is Ilyana? Ilyana... Come on! Well, well, I mean, it's a reasonable question, like... Well, why not, who is that little girl who looks just like Ilyana? Yeah, well, it's beating it into our head. Who is that Russian girl? <laughs> and so they, they answer the question. Um, Shaw lights into... Uh, Magneto was some of the things I said before, and that's when they start fighting. And they make the some very valid ends. points. Shaw's like, you don't have anything. You uh, you don't have anything. You need to no longer be the White King. And this is where Magneto's like, no, no. This was my plan all along. Like, I was tricking the X-Men, and I was tricking the New Mutants so that I could gain power, and I wanted to get your power so I'd have the collective power of all of the mutants to unify them. But It's not as black and white as that, but yeah, that's sort of more or less the gist of it. It's And, and they go to great pains to try to make it gray, which is ultimately the whole point of this issue, but it it really it really feels like a retcon of like, no, no, no. Like I didn't like Charles and I did not have that emotional moment at next men 200 where I, I decided to follow his dream. Like it was all my plan the whole time to, 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 to trick everybody and, and get all the power. And I mean, he ultimately wants to unify mutants. He doesn't want mutants fighting mutants. He doesn't want humans fighting mutants. Um, and that's all he's seeing is, is that war. He wants all the mutants rallied behind Magneto so that they can all collectively do good stuff. This is a poor attempt at making Magneto bad again. Yes. And this is what I've been kind of waiting for in the pages of New Mutants is like, how did we go from reformed good Magneto hanging out with the X-Men to evil Magneto? And here it is. Here's the issue where where he more or less goes evil. Well, he does kind of say that he was hoping that if he played along with all of the ideals of Charles and all this, that there would be there would be peace and they, he would be able to be a part of that peace. But now he's not. It didn't work. So I tried it Charles's way. Now I'll try it my way. Uh, and as they're fighting, I guess Magneto does kind of this rope-a-dope move on Shaw where he keeps hurling things at Shaw and Shaw keeps absorbing this power. And eventually... <laughs> with, with words like shred. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually Shaw uh, absorbs too much power and falls unconscious or is rendered weak. Remember how we said that it was weird that Magneto didn't go down with the X-Men into the Marauders and easily defeat them? He says that he allowed the X-Men to go do that to see what they were capable of. Was that what he says? Yeah, yeah. he was testing them, which... Yeah. Again, it's... I, a, call, I call BS. I call retcon. 
<laughs> and then the new mutants are like well, that's why he didn't go with the x-men to dallas which is also kind of like well x-men just kind of went to dallas i don't think anybody like there was an issue where they talked about like oh things are dangerous it's a dangerous time we're gonna have to kind of stick to ourselves for a while and that was a conversation that the x-men had with magneto in like issue 219 or something yeah but uh anyhow so they it ultimately ends up with a vote between um who is going to stay and who is going to go. Um Emma Frost stands behind Magneto and so Celine has to make a decision who is she going to stand behind? And I think the crux is that Magneto's like Shaw Industries built Sentinels and Frost I think is like, yeah, remember the Sentinels? Remember Nimrod who killed Von Rome and Leland? That was a Sentinel. It's bad. Yeah. Their de- their deaths were wasteful and did nothing to advance our cause. I must side with Magneto on this vote, Shaw. I vote that he remain. Um, they also she talk- says, without Shaw's interference, you, Celine, would have a free hand among your Amazonian holdings. And the, mm-hmm. new-, and the new mutants are like, Amara, she lives there. So we're we're also establishing some things for the new mutants to do in upcoming issues. Yeah. As you do. Uh, and so Celine is like, well, I even though Frost is telling a half truth, uh, I'm still uh I'm still going to go against Shaw and it's you Magneto. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get another Black King? And Magneto's like, how about I be both? I'll be the Gray King, <laughs> which basically means I have complete control. Uh, and and black and white, good and evil. Oh, that's kind of gray. It's a gray area. The and gray everybody's king. like, dude, <laughs> you just blew my mind. Um, he then offers the new mutants the choice: do you stay with me or do you go? And they decide to go. And he says, "Okay, then go." Yeah, but you can always come back. He says, "You uh, can always come back, and you probably will." Especially you, Sunspot. You'll be the first. Why are you oughta? Why are you oughta? And Cannonball's like, he's just baiting you. Let's go. Warlock turns into a helicopter and they fly off. And uh, they talk about South America. Talk about Amara. And Magneto and Emma Frost have a little telepathic conversation about, like, what are they going to do next? Their efforts will weaken Selene for us, and soon there will only be one queen as there is now one king. Do you look good in gray? Yeah. Next issue, X-Factor. I mean, wait, what? I hope somehow this... Because the next time I see Magneto is in the pages of Jim Lee's X-Men number one. So I know that Magneto has a part in that whole villain thing that's coming up. Oh, Acts of Vengeance? Yeah. Oh, God. But I believe it's Magneto as written by people who aren't familiar with writing Magneto. So it's probably going to be Hammy Magneto. Good cartoony villainy Magneto. I can't wait. That's my guess, having never read any of those. That's that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. I hope You heard it here first, folks. I hope it's like super diabolical, like folded hands in front of him, evil Magneto like we had back in the 70s. Could be. I hope so, too. Because that would be a total, total like uh, 180. <laughs> 360? 180? I don't know. Uh, I guess 360 would bring us back. So 180. Yeah. 
one of those. Sure. <laughs> Two two forty eight. There you go. All right. Well, then there you go. That's uh, that's all we got. It's a long one, folks. Oh, we're not done yet. Oh, we are. Oh, we that's get, right. Marvel Comics presents. I didn't read. We got it. one more. Marvel Comics presents. You didn't read it? No. Crush it, Adam. Um. Let's see. I got a review. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a little while. All right. So, Marvel Comics twenty three. Wait, is that one? It is twenty three. Uh, Cyclops fights Master Mold. Conscience. Remember Conscience? I thought he was obliterated by Master Mold. Turns out he's still alive. Oh. Um, and he is able to tap into Master Mold, and enough to get Master Mold not to concentrate on what he's doing. And uh, like Moira has discovered something as well in the other room, but we don't know what it is. We're left with a, it can't be, can it? And uh, then mostly it's just fighting. Oh, okay. Got to be honest, uh, we, I'm not really we, digging the Marvel Comics Presents storytelling. We but. we end this with Conscience going into Master Mold and Master Mold saying, Conscience, you fool, get out of my mind before you destroy us all, concludes next issue. Sounds sexy. Oh, so sexy. <laughs> well, uh, if you don't like Marvel Comics Presents, it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, I know. A- after the Cyclops story, there's a Havoc story. After the Havoc story, there's an Excalibur story. Then I think we just wrap around to Wolverine again. And then I think it stays Wolverine forever, doesn't it? Forever. Oof. <laughs> All right, then, folks. But somewhere in there, there's a Weapon X. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I also remember that story being kind of a slow burn. But, I mean, you got... You got um, What's his face? Good old Barry Windsor Smith art and storytelling. It is storytelling. a slow burn as far as like, I think that one was written all in one piece. Whereas my complaint with the Marvel Comics Presents have been like, they come out in these eight eight page chunks that don't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the, the Weapon X one was meant to be read in one sitting. Sure, sure. All right, folks. Um, I think that'll about wrap it up this time. No, wait, we got six more comics we need to review. Uh, Until next time, my name's Jeremy. (laughs) My name's Comics. We need to review. (laughs) And the danger room is closed. Wait, hurry. Hurry.